0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from the book of Exodus how Moses is a type of Israel and how God loved Moses, loves Israel, loves us, but breaks us of our pride. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org.
1: The last encounter that Moses had with Pharaoh, as we study that, is in Exodus 2.15 where it says, now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by the Moses knew that Pharaoh had purpose to kill him. Moses knew that. He ran away from his face. He ran for his life. When God says to Moses, and Moses hears God saying that he wants them to walk right back up into his face, he hears his death warrant. He says, you want to kill me? As far as delivering the children of Israel, Moses has already tried that. He has tried to deliver the Jewish people from Egypt, and he failed miserably. In the past, Moses had this desire. He had a desire. There was a strong desire in Moses' heart to free the Jewish people. So in that sense, he was on God's page. But the problem was is that at the time when he went to do it, he wasn't sent by God. He didn't have this meeting with God where God says, I send you. And so before, when Moses tried to deliver the Jewish people from Egypt, he looked at himself and he said, I could do it. I'm Moses. He said, I'm Moses. Moses can do it, can deliver the Jewish people. But that ended in Moses finding out that he couldn't do it. And in fact, he was running for his life out of Egypt. So for the first 40 years of Moses' life, Moses had a very high estimation of himself, very high estimation. For the first 40 years of Moses' life as a prince in Egypt, as a war commander, Moses thought that he was everything. It says in the Bible that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. See, Moses really thought himself, Moses thought he was everything. He really didn't think that he needed God. I mean, if Moses had a desire to do something, then Moses did it. And so Moses said, you know, there's no need for God, Moses thought. The only helping hand that I need is at the end of my arm. That's what he thought. In that way, Moses was a type of Israel. Today, when you go into the malls across America and you encounter young Israelis who have come over to sell things in these malls and you start to talk with them, maybe you start to talk to them about God and then we become shocked because most of them tell without any hesitation, oh, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. I am an atheist and if they're not atheists, it's very clear that most of them feel no need for God at all. And they feel that they can just make their own life without the need for God. Thank you very much. And that's like Moses in the first 40 years of his life. And that's why I say Moses is a type of Israel. Because for the first 40 years of Moses' life, Moses thought that he didn't need God. He was everything. He could do things by himself. And so in that way, Moses is a type of the Jewish people today, of Israel today able to do whatever they want to do without any need for God. But when Moses was discovered as a murderer in Egypt and Moses was being hunted down for his life, Moses became a broken man. So Egypt was too much for Moses and Moses had to run for his life. And so in that experience, Moses was broken. He was a broken man. And in the breaking of Moses, He fled from Egypt. And so in that state there where Moses was broken, Moses is a type of Israel, of the Jewish people in the future, where God says in Leviticus 26 19, I will break the pride of your power. That's what he says in Leviticus 26 19. And I will break the pride of your power. God loved Moses too much for him to go on with the pride of his power, his power, his learning, his ability. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses was strong, Moses was proud of his strength. Moses was educated, Moses was proud of his education. Moses had ability, Moses was proud of his ability. All of that was the pride of his power, of Moses' power. And God broke the pride of Moses' power when he was in that state of running out of Egypt for his life. In the same way, God loves the Jewish people too much to let them go on in the state of the pride of their power. So he promises in Leviticus 26:19 that he says, I will break the pride of your power, the pride of your power. That's where they take pride in their own power. You know, Israel says, we are the technologically most advanced, you know, 10 times more technologically advanced than the U.S. We fix their, their um, Patriot missile systems and make them better with our iron dome. We have hidden technology and well, on and on. When anyone takes pride in his own power, he has a very high impression of himself. And this is a very bad thing because God says, this cannot continue. And he says, I will break the pride of your power. So when Israel, for example, was in danger of being absolutely annihilated by the Midianites, God called a man, Gideon, to save them. There was a very great army of the Midianites who were assembled to wipe the Jewish people out, to kill them. Gideon had in his army 32,000 soldiers. He had 32,000 soldiers. And so God started a process with Gideon to whittle down, to reduce the number of soldiers. So God told Gideon of the 32,000, God said, now you say, Gideon, if anybody's uh, afraid here, that you just go home. So Gideon put out the call. If anybody's afraid, go home. To his uh, shock, 22,000 of his soldiers went home. And now he's left with just 10,000 men. And then when God told Gideon that they had too many, he had too many with the 10,000. So he says, okay, bring them to uh, a place here where they could drink water. And he says, I'm gonna try them. And then the trial was that God told Gideon to watch for the men who drank water, putting their hand down and cupping it up for a drink which most of them did. And then he said, and then look for the men who drink water like a dog. Because he says, I want the men who drink water like a dog. He said, like a dog. So the 10,000, 9,700 men cupped water in their hands to drink. And 300 men lapped water like a dog. And that was the description he used in Judges 7, 5, the one who drinks water like a dog. And so the God said, now those are the ones that I want, just 300 men, the ones that are like dogs drinking water. And so why did God go through all of that process with Gideon of taking Gideon's army and just whittling them down to 300 that he calls drink water like a dog? Because of what God said in Judges 7-2. And here's what he said, and the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me. To give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. See, God said that He did not want for the Jewish people to vaunt themselves against Him. Vaunt themselves meant to brag about themselves, it means to take pride in their power. He said, They would vaunt themselves means they would put on display. With their own pride and say, Look what I did. Look what my hand did. And so it says that that's why God said, If they do that, it's going to be against me because he said, Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me. And so pride is always against God. You know, this town is too small for two of us. Either it's going to be me, myself, and I, or it's going to be God, one or the other. And so God wanted to make it impossible. For Israel to say that they saved themselves with just 300 men, that their own hand did it, especially when, when we look at the whole history there with the lamps and the breaking of the pots and so forth. God did that so that it would be crystal clear that it was God who saved them and not themselves. He was breaking the pride of their power. So just as Moses was broken in Egypt, so the Jewish people will also be broken on the hills of Israel, where it talks about in the future. When all nations come against Israel, and that's not very far away, but it says in Zechariah 14.2, when this is really a description of Leviticus 26, of God breaking the pride of their power. and Notice what it says in Zechariah 14.2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is God's doing. And the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished, or raped, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And then he describes further in Zechariah 13, 8 through 9, I mean, when we read these verses in Zechariah, we're, we're reading newspapers of the future and not too far away. Zechariah thirteen nine, and it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts, or two-thirds shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. This is a Holocaust which is twice as bad as the, as the time of the Nazis. The Nazis killed one-third of the Jewish people. This will kill two-thirds of the Jewish people. And then God goes on in verse 9 and says, and I will bring the third part, that'd be the surviving part, I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is refined. It's no secret to us to know how you refine gold and how you refine silver. Heat, intense heat. And then it says, they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it's my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Can you imagine that scene? When the Lord Jesus Christ himself looks at the Jewish people who have turned to them with all of their heart, sought them with all their heart, like he said, found them and then he says that's my people and when they look at the Lord Jesus Christ and they say the Lord is my God that's something but the ultimate breaking comes for Israel after the Lord fights for them and saves them and it says that in Zechariah 14 3 then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle So then the surviving Jewish people, the one-third, they come closer to see their God. They want to know who it is that saved them. They'd like to know everything they can. And then it says, one notices something very, very strange about him. And that's recorded in Zechariah 13, 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hand? What? These wounds in thy hand, what? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends then the jewish people are totally broken when they realize that those wounds are the wounds of the lord jesus christ that he received when the roman soldiers put the nails through his hands he's still got those wounds he has just defeated the armies of the world they have not touched him they have done no wounding to him But when this one person, this one Jewish man gets close, he says, what's those wounds? What's the wounds on your hand? And then he says, those are the wounds that I received in the house of my friends. And then there's such a brokenness. There's such a brokenness because they realized we killed our Messiah. The Jewish people killed the Messiah on the cross. And that starts the greatest mourning of, oh no, what have we done that has ever been recorded? And that's Zechariah 10 through 12, where it says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. See, it's going to be no more. We understand the Romans killed them, but they will take full responsibility when they say, They look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of hadad Riban in the valley of Megiddon, and the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, etc. This is going to be such a tremendous heart pain, tsuros heart pain, that each family is going to say, I can't mourn with you. I've got to go cry my head off. I've got to be all totally alone. And the husband says that, the wife says that, everybody goes apart. And that's the time of their breaking, just like with Moses when he fled from Egypt. And so when God called Moses, then Moses as a broken man said, who am I? And the Jewish people will have the same opinion of themselves when they realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is their God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Their saving God and they despised him and they rejected him and they nailed him to a cross effectively through the Romans. That's where we are Right now in the life of Moses, after the first 40 years of Moses' life, Moses learned that he was everything. And after the second year, 40 years, which is where we are right now in Moses' life, Moses learned that he was nothing. And that's why he's replying, who am I? And now starts the next last 40 years of Moses' life in which Moses will finish and he will discover that God is everything. First 40 years, end of first 40 years, Moses everything. End of second 40 years, Moses nothing. End of last 40 years, God is everything. That pattern, I'm everything, I'm nothing, God is everything, that's true of every person who becomes a child of God. Any person who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who becomes a child of God, He learns, first of all, he thinks that he's everything, that he learns, he's nothing. And then he starts the great discovery from the time that he receives the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior, that God is everything. And that pattern is true for the Jewish people. And like Moses, they still think that they're everything, but the time is coming when God will break the pride of their power and they'll learn, like Moses did, that they are nothing and they'll follow Moses to find that God is everything and they'll get cleansed. And that's why Zechariah 13, is so wonderful. It says, in that day shall there be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And then they'll find out that their greatness as Jewish people, is not in themselves, but is in their God. When all the world will then look to the Jewish people to bring them God. As it says in Zechariah 8.23, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So what we have here in verse 11 of Exodus 3 is Moses saying, he's arguing with God. Really, he's arguing with God. He says, who am I? He says, you got the wrong man. I should go to Pharaoh. (laughs) I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. I don't think so. And we will look at Exodus chapter 3 up to this point. You know, first it starts off in this chapter, really, where God calls to Moses in verse 4. And Moses says, literally, here I am. That was the last thing that Moses said for six verses. Only God is speaking. And so now when we come in verse 11, it's the first time Moses can speak. And he says, who, me? I think you've got the wrong person. So we can see what we've been talking about here, that after 40 years of being a shepherd on the backside of a desert, being a servant in the home of an idolatrous priest of Midian, that it's safe to say that Moses, when he says, who am I, has a very low self-esteem. Now, that's a problem that today is a common psychological diagnosis, low self-esteem. Moses said in verse 11, who am I? Moses says a low self-esteem. And the way to fix the problem of a low self-esteem today, common thought, is to raise a person's self-esteem. You know, it reminds me of my mother. When I was growing up, she was always trying to raise my self-esteem. And so she was always used to say to me when I was growing up, Tommy, you can do anything, she used to say. And I remember the time when she called the Food Giant, it was called Food Giant, store in Beverly Hills to get me a job as a box boy. I was standing right next to her on the phone and she's talking to the manager on the phone. And she said, oh, my son Tommy, he's six feet tall. And I said to her, mom, I'm five foot nine inches. She says to me, He's very strong. I said, Mom, I can't even lift my bike. You know, she says, he's very smart. I said, Mom, I'm practically failing seventh grade. You know, I'm raising self-esteem. But when Moses said in verse 11, who am I? Moses has a classic case of low self-esteem. And so if Moses would have gone to a therapist today, the therapist would have told Moses, Moses, your problem is that you have a very low self-esteem. Moses we'll fix it. We're going to raise your self-esteem. We're going to build you up. And the therapist would say to Moses, now, Moses, don't be so down on yourself. You're not as bad as you think you are. Moses, look at yourself. You're really very intelligent. You're highly educated. You're tall. You're handsome. You're authoritative. You're strong. You're sincere. And that's how the therapist would see Moses' problem as low self-esteem. And that's how he would go about to fix it. But verse 12 is how God saw the problem and how God went about to fix the problem with Moses. See, God's diagnosis and his repair for Moses is simply stated in verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with thee. So in other words, God's solution to Moses' problem was just the promise, I will be with thee. See, God did not try to repair or build up Moses' low self esteem. God didn't say to Moses, You're not as bad as you think you are. As a matter of fact, God would have said to Moses the words of Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So actually, Moses would have said to God, Moses, You're not as bad as you think you are. You're worse than you think you are. The problem is that your heart is deceitful above all things. The problem is that your heart is not just wicked, it's desperately wicked. Moses, your heart is so deceitful and so wicked that it's impossible for you to even know it. Only I can know your heart. Only I can search your heart, Moses, and know what's in it. And take it from me, Moses, as the one who knows it's a lot worse than you think. Now, that's what God would say. The problem is not that you are not as bad as you think, Moses. You're worse than you think. So when Moses said, in essence, to God that he was nothing, God did not try to correct Moses. He agreed with them. God was saying to Moses, you're right. And you don't need, therefore, to rely on yourself, Moses. You need me. And I'm giving you the greatest solution, the greatest solution to your problem, in a promise that you could possibly have, and that is, certainly, I will be with thee." You know, Paul, he had a correct estimation of himself when he said about himself in Romans 7:18, "For I know this was a certainty with Paul, "I know that in me that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing." So that was a correct self-estimation. In me dwells no good thing. But Paul then, he went on in other places, and he used the same word, dwelleth, to describe the solution to the problem. And he says in Romans eight eleven, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies By his spirit that dwelleth in you. What did God say? I will dwell in you. Certainly I will be with thee. In Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Where was Christ? Dwelling in him, the spirit of Christ. In Colossians 1.27, Paul made this clear when he said, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that's what God was promising to Moses, that he would dwell in Moses, that he certainly, I will be with thee, he will dwell. and This is the start of Moses discovering the greatest secret to victory in his life, the greatest key for his ability to be able to do all the impossible that God was calling him to do, to go to Pharaoh and to deliver his people, and it was all, I will be with thee. But unfortunately, Moses didn't get it at first, but he finally gets it. Anyways, he didn't get it at first. And so when he said to God, Who am I? I'm nothing. God said to Moses, No argument, Moses. No argument. You're right. Because the question is not who you are, the question is, Who God is. And that's what Moses was going to learn, who God is. And that was the key. And Moses, therefore, and this is the key for all the problems of low self esteem and introspection that all leads to depression. How can it lead to anything else but depression because there's no good thing dwelling in us? And the key is Moses, take your eyes off yourself. Your eyes are on yourself when you look at yourself and you say, Who am I? Take your eyes off yourself and put your eyes on God. And that's the solution for Moses, as he says, certainly I'll be with thee. And that's the solution for all of us as we are tempted to become introspective, look within ourselves, try to find some good thing in us. When Paul told us, I know that in me dwells no good thing, and to take our eyes off ourselves and to look to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are so wonderful. Because when you say, certainly I will be with you, when you say that you give us your Holy Spirit to dwell in us, when you say that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, these is so wonderful for us, Lord. And so help us to not fall into the trap, not fall into the pit of introspection and looking within ourselves and coming up and saying we're nothing, but Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you and to realize our sufficiency is of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today Now how can you be like Moses And help to deliver a lost Jewish person? By giving them a free gospel gift A Jewish evangelism gift From Israel Restoration Ministries It's Tom Cantor's testimony In a booklet and in DVD And millions of copies have gone out around the world Of Tom Cantor's testimony DVD and book And we want you to have a free copy of this As long as you'll give it to a lost Jewish person That you know a doctor, a lawyer, a neighbor, a businessman, friend, co-worker, someone that you know that's lost and Jewish so that they'll know that the Jewish Messiah is the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to give you this free evangelistic Jewish resource to help you to reach them. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Once again, it's 1-800-247-3051. Now, you can also look for Tom Cantor. Israel Restoration Ministries and the Friendship with God radio program on Facebook. Find us there, you will get a free Tom Cantor daily devotional verse. Now, you can also sign up for that online at friendshipwithgod.org to be able to have that sent to your email or your phone. Now, if you'd like to send Tom Cantor an email, you can do that at Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom, C A N T O R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Send him an email, let him know what you love about the program. You can also write him at PO Box 711 330. Santee, California, 92071 or 1-800-247-3051.